You are now listening to the West Side of T H A AfterParty.com. Hey, this is Kiara with the Facade Project Podcast. Tune in every Sunday from 7 to 8 Pacific for purpose-fueled conversations with young professionals in LA. Only on the West Side of the After Party Radio. Let's get this party started. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Facade Project. Happy Sunday. Happy Cinco de Mayo. I just got a little turn at a party. I'm not going to lie. I didn't know if I was going to make it on time. No. But my girl, Ravina, she left me hanging. I told her we was going to go get margaritas before the show. And she was like, yeah, I'm down. And then day of, she's like, um, I'll just meet you at the studio it at happened. 7. No. It happens. I'm not. No haterade on this side. I'm just saying your girl's turn. I wish she was turned a little bit with me. You know, that's all good. <laughs> but it's okay. So I really wanted Ravina on the show. It's also May, and it's also Mental Health Awareness Month. So as a mental health therapist, mm-hmm. I really wanted Ravina's perspective on a lot of things, on you know transition and purpose and why she moved to L.A., and we're going to get right into it. Ravina, thank you so much thank for showing you. up on the Facade Project. I'm so excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this for the longest time. I so. know, because I know we hung out like, when did we hang out? Like a couple weeks ago? We met last year last? in July on a 4th of July party. Yeah. And then we, like the way LA works is we <laughs> ended up meeting months later, about a month ago. So I know. I literally saw her once last yeah. year. Yeah. And then we just made time to hang out like a couple weeks ago. Yeah. So that's how LA works. That's how it works. <laughs> you just you don't know? see each other. Absolutely. Until you. Yeah. Both actively make something happen. And yes. you have to plan like months ahead. Yes. Yes. But we're here and we're in the studio and we're talking about mental health. So mental health is something that's super important to me. Um, I had a friend in L.A. who kind of went through it. I saw a little bit of change in her and she just was not doing well, like with her mental health. And so then I was like, OK, I really want to get somebody's like professional opinion on the show. I had somebody um, on the show like last year and she was like a black mental health therapist in mm-hmm. D.C. Mm-hmm. And she's like, there's not a lot of people of color like right. working in mental health and Absolutely. things like that. So I really want to get your story, your perspective on things and um, kind of like your studies and your interests and passions and all of that good stuff. Yeah, yeah. No. And I think, you know, obviously there's so much to that story. Right. But I'll try to kind of explain it um, in a nutshell. So, um, yeah, so I currently, my title is mental health therapist. Sometimes you have that imposter syndrome where I'm like, am I really doing this work? But um, no, it's so true what your friend was saying. There barely are um, enough people of color in this field. And that was one of the motivating factors, honestly, to go into it and kind of, it's a lot of weight um, being part of that dynamic, I think, um, having to kind of hold down the fort for, um, especially because I think a lot of the issues that I, so I work in a nonprofit right now, um, we're community-based, so, you know, I do mental health therapy in my office as well as I go into folks' homes and I travel because, as we know, not everyone has access to transportation to get to mental health services and not everyone necessarily um, orients themselves in the same way. So, for example, we have to understand how it's talked about um, in our communities and within communities of color as we know it's not 
talked about enough. And yeah, so, rarely. Right. And so there were many things that got into my decision to go into this field. I think growing up, so I grew up in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Um, so, but I grew up in um, a house um, where my parents had immigrated to the Caribbean from India. So I, oh. you know, my identity is, is very complex in the sense that, you know, I, I grew up, was born and raised in the Caribbean. And then when I went home, you know, on a daily basis, I was also being raised with my Indian um, values and, and things like that. So in a way, you know, we, I kind of belong to both worlds and that has really shaped the way um, that I see in both of my, my cultural backgrounds. I, I don't, we ne I don't remember honestly until psychology class as an elective where that was talked about in school yeah but for so yeah and for some reason I was I was always into you know human behavior and I was in uh, I was doing a lot of youth work at the time so uh, back home I was involved in a lot of um, working with um, children and, and child development and camps and things like that um, and working in um, just with with youth was my thing yeah and I was like okay well I'm good at this and so I want to understand more about just development and, and behavior and why why are we the way we are and what 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 fuels us and how does identity and culture and, and shape us as people and I don't know why I was always interested in that but I was I think because I was you know going through my own experiences just growing up in kind of a split cultural background yeah um and so then so it started off in youth work and then as I went through undergrad I was then I moved from the Caribbean to what we refer to as stateside or mainland <laughs> even though we are U.S. territories the U.S. Virgin Islands is considered U.S. territory but we're not seen as that it doesn't feel like that we're yeah. just a different world and we're right. a small 32 square mile island one of three and so um, you know it's just it's a different world that I grew up in and so when I went mm -hmm. to the mainland there I am in a different environment and there I am trying to pursue what I love and understanding more about my field going into psychology and sociology and then I was like wait I'm kind of struggling with things on my own level too so mm -hmm. I learned more outside of the classroom about you know why I was so interested in this field in the first place is because I oh, wow. I struggled with my own identity and like where do I belong like who am I as a person like I have these different backgrounds and I'm in a different environment and then um, you know going through things like seasonal depression where I grew up around sunshine and palm trees in the ocean and I was connected to that since day one um, and so being in the cold and things like that like that's a real thing that people go through is that adjustment one to being outside of your social circle and being miles away from Massachusetts to the Caribbean is like a world away right that's yeah. what it feels like when you're away from your family and your friends who essentially have, have raised you and know you and um, the people that I went to school with I went to school with them from kindergarten you know I graduated in a class size of 37 just wow. by nature of how small my school was yeah so that so was, was that was it the norm to kind of go stateside and study yes. at a university yes. from like the U.S. Virgin Islands you know I think if uh like the family that I was in that that was always like it was never um a question of if it was you know where where okay. was I going to go? Where was I going to get that scholarship to go and branch out and go to the mainland? You know, we have one main university in the University of the Virgin Islands, and mm -hmm. that's great if you're doing um, certain fields that, you know, they represent. But for me, the opportunity wasn't there to after college. I knew that I would not be returning home to go into psychology because, you know, if you're in hospitality and tourism and business and things like that, and there are a lot of other fields where there are scope. But for me personally, I 
had seen what the mental health world was like back home and it, there was not enough opportunity for that. And one day I do hope to kind of go back and, and speak about things and kind of bring that difference there. But I knew that it was never secure. So yeah. I, was, I knew I needed to go somewhere completely new with, and you know, up here it's so big and, and vast. And yeah. um, so you got your bachelor's in what? I did psychology and sociology. Psychology and sociology. And then you went on to get your master's I from did. what I know. I went on to get my master's from Boston University. Um, so I, my undergrad was a little bit outside of the city. And then I moved into the city and I did AmeriCorps, which I don't know if you're familiar with yeah. AmeriCorps. And for folks who maybe don't know, um, it's like a service-based year. And so I did that. Um, and, then I, and then I went into grad school. So I took a year off between undergrad and grad gotcha. school. And then I moved out here. So you say kind of like you were able to see in the Virgin Islands where you grew up, like yeah. you were able to notice like mental health and, and make that a priority for you. And, and why do you think that is versus like maybe in the American culture over here, we're not as like, it's not as focused on, it's not as like mm -hmm. broadcasted and to check in on yourself and to yeah, seek yeah. physical, you know, therapy, uh, you know therapists yeah and things like that here yeah well back home it was just there was I had interned with one of the psychologists that is known at back home so there was not really a scope for it back home either so okay. that's kind of why I branched out and went to um, a university out in the east in the east coast in the northeast because there was a bigger scope for it like the school I went to Clark University for undergrad was known for their psych program so I said okay like let's get into that and that's kind of how it worked out but no, there was there's so many mental health issues in every place that I've lived in, but yeah. there was never access to, you know, where do we go for experiencing this? Where what what even is therapy? And in communities of color and and you know, immigrant communities and the communities that I work with right now, um we're just trying to survive and we're just trying to get by. So you need the resources and then you need to then kind of orient people to what mental health therapy is in a way that's digestible and so I always tell people that uh, mental health and physical health are it's related we go to doctors or we take care of ourselves or we take a day off when we're sick right yes but when we're struggling similar to maybe what your friend went through and we all have mental health struggles and so that's something that I think we need to normalize more because we don't think of it like we think of it as depression has to be this diagnose disorder and that's the only time then that maybe we'll get help for it right right um but we struggle on a day-to-day -day basis and that's what really fueled me to continue this work is you know the the everyday struggles that I was going through I was like wait like this is what encapsulates I think a majority of the population's mental health experiences is that accumulation of the struggle day-to-day -day will add up if we don't kind of pause mm. and for a lot of the communities of color and the immigrant communities that I grew up in and that I'm just kind of a part of um, we are raised in this like grit culture and so it's like oh you're good you're tough you can tough it out and you can you can keep going and you 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 got it right that and that yeah. you got it can be super harmful when you realize like wait you know, maybe today I don't have it all together and that is okay. I just need to kind of step back, take care of myself so that I can kind of bounce back and just keep moving forward and keep doing my thing. Um, but yeah, everyone, I think everyone goes through it and we tend to think of it as this, um, this, this, 
beast that we can't attack unless, you know, we have a diagnosis. But we need to think of it as, you know, mental health and physical health are related. So On why the aren't, same level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if you're going through things like anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. PTSD, whatever, right? You are going to have physical effects of, like, I'm nauseous. I'm not sleeping right. I'm not eating right. Like, all of that is going to get affected. And so yeah. we don't think of those as related, but they are. And so... Yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) Where do you really think, like, the stigma comes from of, like, oh, mental health associated with, like, being crazy Mm -hmm. or just, like, kind of the outliers, the outcasts, you know? Even in L.A., walking around on the streets, like, we see people talking to themselves and, like, Skid Row, and we kind of, like, disassociate with these actual humans, you know? And so, like, where do you think that stigma lies? How can we kind of break that down yeah yeah I think for me I've I've throughout kind of my professional career and personal life I've seen stigma as being kind of a product of a couple of different things right so you have um, cultural views of mental health you have um, what the system that you were maybe born and raised in has known about mental health and what like because it's such a foreign concept to a lot of different groups, I think that that affects the way that we can even talk about it. Um, The system meaning, you know, your neighborhoods or, you know, where you were raised, um, the family that you grew up in. It's, It's deep. It goes back generations and generations. And I find that our generation is kind of breaking that silence. I notice a lot more, but it takes a while to get there. And even then, it's going to still be a little bit of a struggle. But I think, especially in my line of work, I see um, culture as well as broader society, the fact that we um, we live in the system where you have to be productive and there's mm-hmm. capitalism um, and there's a lot of different isms and systems that affect that stigma where it's it's there and it's this big elephant in the room. Yes. Um, and, you know, we see things like homelessness in L.A. and, and even when I, where I grew up, there's a big homeless population. We see them as, you know, talking to themselves as that's that's crazy. That's what crazy people do, where if you realize that the reason that they're on the streets is the difference between me and that person is just circumstance. Where where was I born into? Like, what was my status and, and what was did I have a home to be? raised into and then beyond that right you have cycles of poverty you have cycles of violence you have all these different things and it's all a product of circumstance like it's the experience and mental health issues get kind of produced because of the fact that there's all these different issues going on and it just kind of accumulates right right Um, whereas like I could be that person on the streets I just had maybe the resources or the access to it or you know things like that and we know that issues of gentrification and poverty and violence discrimination racism all of that (laughs) stuff it's heavy stuff it all affects the way we talk about mental health because people are a product of their circumstances and you have to unpack that. And unless we're not doing that, we're not understanding that circumstance brings people to different experiences. Right. Um, And then it's like, are we taking care of the people on the streets or the people that we think of are crazy or are we just ourselves adding to that? Right. Um, Right. So, yeah. So, okay. So upon graduation, upon really just getting your start in this field, what, what really made you move to LA? Why did you want to come here? Are you happy here? Your line of work? I know you work in Long Beach. Yeah. Um, Tell me a little bit about that journey. So, yeah. So I work a little bit outside of Long Beach and Cerritos, but it's, I'm in those bubbles. So it tends to get into one, right? Um, (laughs) 
I am happy here. I think, um, you know, it's been a, it's been a journey. It's been an adjustment. Um, so when I was in, actually, when I was in undergrad, um, I began to be involved in spaces where mental health was talked about. And it was, uh, there was a group called um, Sisters in Stride on campus. And it was for women of color to come together and just share experiences and heal. And that's when I started to understand that if we're, we have to make space for people to talk about it. Mm. Otherwise, otherwise we kind of go on in our lives and we're just busy and we're trying to be productive and make money and survive and things like that. But unless there's spaces within schools or within our communities or things like that, where this is designed it's a space designed for us to talk and heal together. Right. That's what's important. So mm -hmm. I was like, I would just love to be part of these spaces, honestly, for a lifetime, because that's where I found my healing. And I was like, wow, there's other people going through the things I'm going through. It literally just took someone to organize a space and time and, you know, to bring food and bring people together and, <laughs> and just share that space and talk about similar things. And that space really did change my life in a way where I was like, as a woman of color, I need to find women of color to heal with. And because they, sh not all of our experiences are the same, but there's some unspoken language there that I was finding in the many women of color spaces that I was in. So it was like, that's what therapy is. That's what therapy is literally just a space designed for you to come and just put down the armor that we have up all day long. And just for about an hour, like, you can just sit and rest and, and heal and it's okay to put that down. Um, and so then I was really attracted to like, I would love to facilitate that space. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why I kind of got into the work that I do. Um, and so I did, and I moved to LA because I was finding more, I guess more opportunity for culturally specific work. Um, and that's what I was really into, kind of going along the theme of finding spaces where as a woman of color, like what can I contribute and where am I best, where can I best fit in to the therapy world? And yeah, um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was kind of, I was ready to leave Massachusetts and branch out. And I was like, I'm in my comfort zone. If I find mm. a job here, I'm going to stay here. And that's, and I would love to see more of the world and see how I can kind of fit in yeah. to different spaces. Right. Yeah. Um, so an opportunity came up and I had applied and I came out here for an interview literally last year was the first time I'd ever visited California. Oh, wow. Um, and then a month later I'd gotten the position and then I was like, you know what, like, I kind of have nothing to lose here if mm. I do it, except for like my East Coast family and, you know, my, my, the people that I was so used to being around, that definitely is hard to adjust to them without. Yeah, but, yeah. but I think there's something so beautiful about getting out of your comfort zone and just mm -hmm. making that leap. And I have had kind of a wealth of experiences. It was honestly like an intuitive decision. And so I always tell people, like, don't ignore that intuition because that will get you so far. Like your intuition is, has at least for me, that's kind of been what has guided me throughout life. Um, I think a lot of people, we have this picture of like, we have to get it together in a specific way. And this is the facade, right? That we have to put on and kind of there's a, system, a systemic way to kind of, 
find yourself. You go to college, you go to grad school, then you get a job, and that's doesn't always work that way. But I think in my timeline, I was like, this kind of feels right right now. Let's let's just move. Yeah, <laughs> it's about going with your gut, like yeah. you said, and it's about getting yeah. out of that comfort zone and Absolutely. and really just seeing what you're capable of and what you can do. And yeah. I can say honestly, yeah. I've seen the growth. Even though you know we Thank haven't you. really spent so much time together, I remember like initially talking to you and t and having these real conversations. Yeah, and you know that's when I really wanted to to get to know you more mm -hmm. and to I'm so glad that you're on the show talking yeah. about mental health and like breaking it down because man it's like especially in LA yes I feel like a lot of people really need to take time for themselves and mm -hmm. focus on their mental because it's a mental game out yes. here especially when you're in different industries like entertainment and music mm -hmm. and it's mm -hmm. cutthroat people are like you're not really sure if you're gonna make it yeah. right so it's yeah. like important to really focus because I've seen people kind of lose their way and lose hope yeah. and yeah. you know they're not addressing some of those deeper rooted issues absolutely you know so Okay, so I want to kind of go into also, like, when you work with patients, yes. what's, like, a tip? I mean, there, I know there's no typical patient, right? Yeah. But, like, yeah, yeah. when you are with clients mm -hmm. and when you're talking and, like, really having these conversations, what do you find in your line of work um, that these people really need or th that these people are here for? Yeah, I think so. I work specific. So as a South Asian woman, um, I work, I decided to kind of insert myself into culturally specific work, as I was saying. So I work with the South Asian community, but I also work broadly with anyone who kind of walks into our door. But okay. that's kind of where our nonprofit is nestled is in a region where it's heavily populated by South Asian folks. Those can be first gen, they can be second gen, um, kind of a variety of people. So when I have clients who either self-refer or are referred by different um, agencies or things like that and they come into my space um, I think what I've been finding universally is that it's about it's a process of unlearning right mm. so that's where I was like this is it like this is what needs to be done in order to kind of then come to your fullest self is like we were taught certain messages growing up or specific cultural messages or specific messages in our communities and society. And, it, and it, it's universal among di different cultures as well as what I'm finding is that, you know, we're taught that, you know, we have we need to, you know, do things a certain way or especially in our culture, there's like certain patriarchal views or we need like m pressures to marry or pressures to find a career and be secure and, and have a family and things like that. So many different things that people learn and internalize growing up. Um, and then it comes to a point where that doesn't, those messages don't fit in with, with the way that people want to live their life. Mm. And then you have to kind of unpack that and say, you know, how are we taught these messages? Where are yeah. we getting this from? Because like I said, I've, the way I view it is, and people view it, different therapists have different views, but I see the person as a product of the system that they're in and their circumstances, you know, where they're from, what, what their lifestyle is like and things like that. Right. But there's so many things that you kind of learn along the way that aren't going to suit you enough right and I think even in LA we we have to be you know there's a certain style and there's a certain <laughs> lifestyle and things like that yes but it doesn't have to be that way I think we're just taught certain messages and that's kind of the root of a lot of my work is how do I 
provide the space so that we can unlearn together yeah Um, because that we don't necessarily have that in a lot of places and I don't necessarily think you know therapy is the only solution for mental health care you could find like-minded communities art music whatever it is as long as you're you have some sort of space to to kind of just be more of yourself or find a certain medium in which you can kind of unpack that and yeah and unlearn and then kind of just be who you are underneath all of those messages yes so important and Mm -hmm. so I think it's not talked about enough like you say and unpacking those traumas Mm -hmm. and those societal pressures and from family and and you know influences around you is so important it's so key yeah um to like you said like being more of yourself, your full self yes. and, and showing up authentically and sure. being like good and healthy and, and all of that. And so, you know, really just like thinking on like some family stuff mm-hmm. and some of my personal friends and mm-hmm. seeing like mental health for, you know, the good and the bad. Yes. How would you say like even a family member or a friend can like help somebody who mm. is just going through it or, you know, like very anxious, very depressed, um, you know, signs of like further mental yes. traumas? Like how do you show up for somebody? Yeah, I think a big part of that is making sure you yourself are emotionally available to be that ear for that person, right? So if Mm -hmm. you have your own stuff going on, it's going to be hard to sit with a loved one and and kind of unpack unpack that with them. Because you might bring things up for you or you might just be tired as hell from just like your own life stuff. And then being that ear to someone is going to feel like, oh my gosh, this is so much, like I can't be that person. And sometimes we're not the right people for our loved ones and our friends and our family. Sometimes we have to say like, hey, you know, I'm here for you if you need me, if you need like an ear to talk about it or if you need, but I know that there's help out there too. Yes. Um, so we can't always put it on us all the time. Mm. Sometimes we are not those people. Even though we can be the go-to people, the people pleasers, sometimes like we have to make sure that the people around us are going to the right places. Like maybe that's not us. Maybe that's someone else has been through a similar experience. Maybe it's, I think it's a lot about educating yourself too about, for example, like if a friend or a loved one was in the same community as you, what are the different resources within that um, area? For example, that's, you you can look that up yourself and say, um, you know, I know of a really great organization that, does this work like you can probably try to reach out to them that's cool or there's this like you know if you're if your friend or your loved one is into a certain form of healing as I talked about before like you know where can they find their their people who might be going through similar experiences and because sometimes we're just not that person for that friend and but you know and a lot of times we are and that's okay too but we have to, we have to be okay with not knowing all the answers mm. we have to say like I will you know, I'll be there with you so we can find you the right place or the right organization or the right, um, you know, mental health provider together. And maybe that's something that you can do with them. Right. But you have to be at a place where you're, it's, so it's not taxing on you. And so, yeah. you know, yeah. and it's okay not to have the answers. This is like a new thing for a lot of us is to even talk about it. And the fact that you can even open up, you know, your home or your, your time for that person, that's a big deal yeah I'm just saying like you know I, I don't know what you're going through I can never have that experience that you're going through 
but I'm here for you, you know, if you are emotionally available for that person, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it really just depends what they're going through. But I, I think it's okay not to have those answers. If you're willing to, like, be a companion with that person to kind of journey with them together and say, you know, like, if you want to look up some place that h- can help with this, like, I got you. Let's kind of do that together or yeah. something, you know? Cause I think for me, too, like, whenever it comes to trying to help with somebody's mental state, for me, I, like, take on their mm-hmm. weight and what they're going through yes. just, like, as an empathetic person yes. and, you know, not really knowing the field or not mm-hmm. really even having access to helping them sometimes. Sometimes, you know, you call a, a yeah. helpline. Yes. If they, they really have to want to help themselves, yes. you can't force anybody exactly. to, like, exactly. check in on themselves, mm-hmm. get their, you know, a therapist and things like that. So sure. how do you kind of make sure that you and your line of work, that you are good and you're, <laughs> you're good enough to help and to really hear people out and to not take on that weight? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's such a learning process. I think <laughs> and that's something that they kind of try to train us in grad school is to, you know, compartmentalize your work and your life. Because if you take your work with you, you're going to kind of get bogged down and it's gonna it's gonna affect you because the issues that you know I talk to clients about are super super real and for a lot of it it's you know things like suicide or things like trauma um really complex types of traumas and things like that those tend to be like the heaviest for me personally but you know I have my rituals of you know when I go into my office I have my set hours right I know that my day is going to end at this time today and you know I my my space is very um like I guess in a sense it's it's a little bit um warm you know I have candles and sometimes I have incense and things like that but I will blow out my candle I will shut my office door and I will say you know what I did what I could do today mm. and I'm gonna close this door and it's a symbolic way of me kind of closing out that part of my day yeah so then I can kind of go on to you know take care of myself right um and I always I always tell people like you don't have to wait until you're going through something really significant to take care of yourself right mm. we neglect that until we go through something really traumatic and then we're like okay now we have to take care of ourselves all the time but you have to do it on the downtime like going to the gym eating healthy you know finding those types of things that work for the specific person if they can do those things even just having time to rest and kind of do what you want to do like watch your netflix like you know have your friends over like do all that thing and that's in a way it's preventative where you know you you know that when you are going through really tough experiences as we know will come and go um then you kind of understand more about like what is it that will help me in in those times in the moment in the moment yeah Uh, i think that's important that you like check out at the door okay this is me (laughs) going into my personal life you really do have to separate your personal life Mm -hmm. with the work that you do it's great Mm -hmm. work that you do by Mm -hmm. the way and nonprofit is so tough i'm sure in its own right yeah but you know like what you're doing for people is like really making a difference Mm -hmm. so for you like I mean this is kind of personal but is it about like the money the success for you or would you say it's really just like I'm passionate about this the money doesn't like matter more so than yeah like you know being doing a line of work that you do. I'm laughing because, like, I, in nonprofits, it's like when you sign on to a job like that, you kind of know that okay, money's not going to always be there. But yeah. I think, you know, idealistically, it'd be nice to upgrade eventually into, you know, having maybe my own private practice one mm. day, for example. But where I'm at right now, um, and I think even going forward, I've always 
if I am happy with the work that I do and I am happy, like, if I feel balanced in, in my life, then I'm a happy person and that's what matters to me. Also, I got to pay rent and things like that too, right? LA is I got to survive. Yeah. It's not cheap out here. But to me, my work means so much to me because if you think about it, like, if you can help, or you can, I mean, if you can help provide that space for one person to kind of, just kind of take a step back and figure out what's going on and have a person to witness that growth, that will radiate into their circle and other people will get motivated to take care of themselves and then you kind of create like a ripple effect. So for me, it's something a lot bigger than myself. Yeah. Um, I'm just there to kind of witness your growth and I'm there to, like you. It's I will never be that person to tell you how, what to do and how to do it. I'm just giving you that space to kind of, help you to figure that out together collectively like let's work on it because it's hard to do that alone it's like you know you need your your spaces and your time to kind of step back and and, and deal with those things so that you can take care of the things around you and it's a ripple effect I think Mm -hmm. so that's kind of where a lot of my purpose is is that it's it's so like healing is not just one person it's healing the world around them for sure Um, so, oh, yeah. so amazing, Ravina. Yeah. <laughs> so we talked about the good parts, but what would you say are the hardest parts of being a therapist? Ooh, yeah. Um, you know, it's it makes you, like, I try not to desensitize myself to a lot of the really, um, like, really big stuff that happens in this world, but I have to keep up with politics. I have to keep up with the things that are happening in this world, and it's exhausting. But those are things that directly influence my clients. People. Yeah, the way the world is going and then the different things that are happening that you see on the news every day and and all of that stuff. It's like, oh, this is so depressing in itself. But I also have to keep tabs on what's happening because, you know, a lot of policy affects um, a lot of my clients. I work with a lot of, for example, domestic violence survivors. And right now there's a lot of policy that's taking back a lot of the protections they might have. So I have to keep up with different. And that's just one um, area that I work in. But um, it's it's like I'm always attuned to what's happening in this world. And that is hard because it's like sometimes I just want to kind of block that off but yeah it's a it's balance you know for sure um, and the world is a hard place it's not it's it not a easy hard place. <laughs> it's not easy it's to not. live this life and it healing really is like a, a lifelong journey it's mm. that's just how i feel about it so that's awesome if i can provide that space for someone then i think that that's it's super rewarding in itself it also teaches me so much about my own so i've learned so much about myself through this mm. field what like, have you learned in a way, it kind of, you know, the things that I'm telling my clients about ways to take care of yourself and things like that and kind of suggesting ways for them. I'm like, wait, that could, like, I could use that. <laughs> like, I could. Wait, use, this is for me in my yeah. life. <laughs> like, like this. And, you know, if I have personal experience with, like, a certain type of healing method or, like, um, you know, things like that, it just informs me better about maybe the way that other people might find healing, too. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like I've kind of like I have to get into this like constant self-care mode um I hate the when the word is thrown around so much of like self-care because self-care self-care and people are misusing that word too because they think that self-care means going on a shopping spree and (laughs) drinking all the wine and I'm just like okay that's not self-care though like I think one way that I think about it and I try to kind of um just educate folks about this it's not always self-care it's more Mm self-preservation so how are you taking care of yourself today so that you can preserve your energy for you know when when you need to when things really like 
do escalate and when you have to like really confront how to take care of yourself how are you doing that on like everyday basis to just preserve yourself so that you can kind of show up in the best way you can yeah you know yeah it's hard <laughs> i want to quickly talk about because we're running out of time yeah. um your I- ig yes um you have a page I and have a page. you send out newsletters letters yes. on like how to better check in on yourself and it's yes. called decolonizing our healing right yes. so talk about that really briefly yes. what is that how can people check like follow that and yeah, check yeah. in on what you're doing yeah so Decolonizing Our Healing was kind of my little baby side passion project that I've been wanting to do for a while and I started it last September and it's really been nice to build that community and so briefly the premises of it is that there's never one way to heal through something and I think a lot when I was going through grad school just even the way that mental health was talked about was based in um, a lot of like outdated or whitewashed theories right Mm. so we need to kind of disalign from that and decolonize from that because the way we're taught um, just about how to take care of ourselves that's not a one-size-fits-all so this was kind of a platform to discuss that and that healing is non-linear healing doesn't look the same for me or do you even though we might share certain parts of our identities but we have to kind of unlearn that's that's the whole idea of it is unlearning from the mainstream um, and how do we find that thing that fits our own journey? Yeah, um, so oh, that's so what that beautiful. is. Where can people find that? Yeah, so I am on Instagram uh, only so far. It's my it's kind of in the toddler stage. Um, so it's decolonizing our healing. Um, it's at decolonizing our healing. So um, you can hit that follow button. Um, I also have found a lot of people just in the online world that kind of resonate with a lot of it um, and that we start conversations. And so, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Okay, speed round of yes. questions. Okay. So, <laughs> who inspires you the most to keep going? Oh, my mother. How do you push through the self-doubt? Uh, self-affirmations. Ooh. How do you handle the no's or doors that get closed in your face? I tell myself that I am worthy enough and that I can keep going. Love it. How do you know that you are on the right path and that this dream is meant for you? If I feel like my intuition has been honored. Ooh. So if I feel it, like I can feel satisfaction. I can feel, you know, that I am in a good place for me right now at this time, this moment. I love that. <laughs> what is one piece of advice that you would give your younger self? Oh, I knew this was coming. <laughs> um, that you have what you need inside of you and the world's going to send you multiple messages to try to cover up a lot of things but you got this you got this what is something that you are doing differently in 2019 oh i am speaking my truth i am trying to express myself a lot more so that um like i feel like there's this like woman inside of me that's like no like talk about it like speak about it speak your truth express yourself be more more authentic I think I'm working on the authenticity part because I like my thought process is oh what are people gonna say like is this gonna sit well with the other person like no I should actually just kind of say it the way it needs to be said oh I love it and what would you say your ultimate goal or dream is oh like any any ultimate goal yeah I would love to be on a book tour Ooh. And also, you know, like a, a rooftop condo overlooking a city eventually. 
Well, I can see that <laughs> happening. I can see your book already. Bestseller. <laughs> wait on it. Ravina, so. thank you so much for thank joining you. us. That is all the time we have, guys. Make sure to keep it locked and loaded every Sunday, 7 to 8 p.m. post on the After Party West. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Mm -hmm. Have a good night. Hey, this is Kiara with the Facade Project Podcast. Tune in every Sunday from 7 to 8 Pacific for purpose-fueled conversations with young professionals in L.A. Only on the west side of the After Party Radio. Let's get this party started.